0: Let us pray. Gracious Lord, who came in both such power and in such great gentleness, draw us near to you. Help us to see you in action, both in this story as well as in our lives. Draw us to you, O Lord, that we might know you as you are revealed in scripture speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as some of you know, the cathedral is my hangout spot for Holy Week. I'm here Monday, Thursday evening, Good Friday, and now the second service this morning. It it takes me on a journey. Our theme for the week has been the Gospel of John. And I've been also listening to Bach's rendition of The Passion of John, which in my opinion is a brilliant and sublime piece of music capturing the irony, the pathos, the sadness, and the majestic triumph of all that Jesus did over the course of this week. And and music, I don't know whether it's true for you, but music touches places in my heart that words just don't. It evokes things in me that in fact are appropriate to the text, but I I don't get it if all I do is just read it. It's not the fault of the author. It has everything to do with what allows my heart to feel. And so, the passion helped me feel my way through this week, and it's a roller coaster ride. Extraordinary irony, places of extraordinary tenderness in the midst of the most horrific of circumstances, the empathy that it pulls out of you for Jesus because you feel sorry. And yet, if you watch Him through all of that, he's not feeling sorry for himself at all. He's anything but a victim. He walks through each of those circumstances with a level of poise, a level of confidence, knowing that he's about to be executed, capital punishment. One of the worst known ways of killing someone ever devised by the human race was in front of him, and yet he goes knowing that he is doing the will of his father. It's it's extraordinary for me, just extraordinary. Leslie Newbegin and I quoted this on Good Friday, writes this about this conflict, what happened with Jesus and the way they came against Him and utterly failed. He said, the central faith by which Israel stands, that Yahweh alone is Lord, has now been publicly de- denied by the official spokesman of the nation, when they said, we have no king but Caesar. Blasphemy quite honestly. The second purpose of the political order, the defense of the good and the punishment of the evildoer has now been publicly abandoned by the representative of imperial power in Pontius Pilate. The claims that both religion and civic leadership have over human affairs have now been unmasked as corrupt and ineffective. Feel familiar? The powers in Je- before Jesus have been disarmed. Only one claim remains, which can never be withdrawn, that Jesus, the slain lamb, is king. That is the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. The writers have been working very hard to present to us a narrative that takes seriously what's happening in individuals, as well as the large cosmic events N.T. Wright puts it this way, the writers are certainly attempting to present a coherent and credible portrait of individuals. They are anything but cardboard cutouts, producing stock responses and questions. The writer intends us to take the story seriously as a narrative, the telling comment that Jesus makes when he says, go and tell the disciples, do not be afraid causes us to stop and take notice. As the women take hold of the feet of Jesus, the contrast is intentional, the very bodiliness of the risen Jesus in comparison to some spirit that we might find in mythology. Jesus was graspable. So what do we do with this? For me, it, it's felt like a roller coaster ride. Good Friday. It's hard not to get caught up in the drama. The great American poet, W.H. Auden, heard a lecture where a speaker said that Jesus and Buddha were the same, in effect. They were both attacked by spears, but in Buddha's case, the spears turned into flowers. W.H. Auden bristled at this, stood up and shouted from the back of the lecture hall, on Good Friday, the spears were real. And even after he is laid in the tomb and a kind of eerie quiet settles over the drama, we're not left with the quiet. As we say in the creed, he descended to the dead, what's called the harrowing of hell. Death and hell have been evicted from the innermost shrine of their power. Death is not the final judgment of men and women. Jesus is. Having experienced death, He takes death into Himself. Having plummeted the depths of the abyss, He fills the abyss with His presence. The gates of hell have not prevailed against Him." And then we come to our reading. Two women walking alone before dawn, coming in essence to pay their their last respects, not expecting anything of what they were to find. And of course, they get there, and they get there just in time, probably by divine providence. For an earthquake, an angel descending from heaven, rolling back the stone, sitting on the stone, his appearance like lightning. The guards who had been appointed to guard the tomb, because you see, there was this rumor that the chief priest said, you know what he really is going to do? Somebody's going to come and steal the body and then they'll just say, he came back from the dead. So they're there to guard the tomb. They so shake with fear at it, they fall down like dead men. The power of God is always terrifying and certainly offensive to the non-believer because it challenges the very depths of their own autonomy. Someone who stands on his or her own and says, I do not need a God, is profoundly shaken and offended when God shows up to challenge the puniness of their own personal claim to self-determination. But to those for whom the hunger for God is real. Notice, in the midst of all of this extraordinary, terrifying majesty that absolutely puts down as dead men, soldiers trained for the bloodiness of battle, the women, look, they don't turn away, although they're terrified. And it's the angel who says to them, no, no, don't you be afraid. (laughs) You can almost see the angels going, but you stay where you are, soldiers. I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for He has been raised. Come see the place where He lay. They can go quickly and tell His disciples. The women become, in essence, the first apostles, the first evangelists, and they take off lickety split to head back to where the disciples are hiding out, as it says in another gospel, for fear of the Jews. And notice, They left with both fear and joy. Have you ever had that combination of exhilaration? Where it's just so much more than you could ever imagine. Can it really be true? There's a little fear involved in there, isn't it? You're taken out of your comfort zone. It's bigger than your capacity to control. And yet, (laughs) it is the answer to the cry of your heart. And just as they are turning to tell the disciples He is here, Jesus appears. What what could be more remarkable than that? And He's not just some ghost. They literally come to Him and they say, took hold of His feet, the feet that already bear the scars of where the nails went through the feet into the cross. In the one or two seconds it took for them to see Jesus, the world shifted ever so slightly on its axis. History moved from B.C. to A.D. At the beginning of this turn, these women were in the deepest of human despair, in the agonizing presence of unconquerable death, but a second after they see him, there is the deepest possible human elation in the presence of the central figure of human history. They are in the presence of the risen Lord. When they turn to him at that moment, human history takes a turn to hope and the conquest of meaninglessness. Because if all you have is death, If in the end, all you can do is consign yourself to the inevitable, to a power far greater than you but cares nothing for you, it is that that hangs over humanity like a cloud and causes humanity to say, life is meaningless. First you're born, then you die. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that conquers meaninglessness by planting humanity within the realm of of eternity, of an eternal purpose that is being carried out. And the glory of it is that we get to be a part of it. We're not spectators to eternity. We're not spectators to purpose, divine will carrying out what divine will wants to do. No, no, no. It's more intimate. It's more personal than that. It's Jesus coming to these two women and allowing them in an act of intimacy and awe to literally fall at His feet and to touch them. What do you do with this? It was Fred Borsch who said, Either Jesus came back from the dead and there's really nothing else to say, or well, we didn't. What will you do? You see, it's possible for you to be a spectator, to be a tourist in the, the carnival of the divine. And you can watch and look and notice and say, oh, how do you think it went? Oh, it was pretty good service today. What do you want for lunch? And in essence, sort of move on with your life but this gospel story does not allow that kind of response. If that's all you've got, you're not paying attention. If we are talking about the central figure of human history who conquered the unconquerable, either it asks of you to lay down your life, or it asks of you to put the stone of the tomb over your very heart and say, not in here. I want to call my own shots, thank you very much. But do you not understand that should you do that, you are literally shaking your fist in the face of deity? You see, as I read earlier, if death is not the final judge, then Jesus is. What will you do with that? So I would I would both plead with you and invite you to come into such a place of yieldedness that you might know this joy, this elation, the hunger met inside of you for eternal purpose and great life it's not for the casual. It's not even for the faint of heart, because it takes courage to walk like this. But even if all you can do is say, Lord, I confess to you that I'm, I'm one selfish you-know-what, and I'm often faint at heart because I'd rather blend in than stick out, would you have someone like me? Jesus says, come on, I'll make you a new person. And He does. And He does. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see." So today, don't be a spectator, please, not before this Jesus or even in life. Be one who stands in Christ so that a transfer happens as you come to Him, as you come and allow yourself to literally touch His feet because He'll let you to come into that place of great intimacy, what happens is a transfer happens. Your weakness for His strength, your sin for His forgiveness, your self-centeredness for His servanthood. You get broken inside. Believe me, it is a breaking that happens, but what gets broken open in you is all of your own self-centeredness, and what gets poured into you is the servant power of Jesus Himself. Boy, I wouldn't trade that for anything, would you? how could you say no to something like that? That's what He gives us. That's what happened to these two women and to the disciples. Come, let this be a time not just to watch, but to know real joy. Come to Him who does not reject you and allow Him to take the stones away and pour within you that amazing resurrection power. Later this morning in this service, while there's communion distribution, I'm going to be right over here by the piano. If you want and would like for me to pray with you individually, I would be more than willing to do that, to stand with you in that transaction where you say yes to him in a deep way. Even if you've been to church all your life, there are points that happen where you go from being spectator to believer. Let this be one. So come, receive, say yes. Amen.